We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to talk about Thanksgiving, and I specifically want to suggest that we should all be thankful for living in such a time as this, that this is a wonderful time to be alive. In spite of all the storm clouds, in spite of all the junk, this is a great time, a great opportunity for us to shine like we're supposed to, and for us to be the salt that we're called to be. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Well, this is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving when this uh, show is being aired. And I think this is a message that we should tuck away for every day, not just the day before Thanksgiving. But we should be thankful. We should be grateful. We should be excited about the times in which we live. You know, I'm as guilty as anyone in bemoaning the negative. And I do think it's our responsibility to sound the alarm. It is our obligation to call evil evil. Like I've said with regard to this quote from Bonhoeffer over and over again, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless, but we dare not stop there. We dare not wring our hands or hang our head as if we're defeated. We are not. I'm going to take an early break right now. But when I get back, the rest of the show is going to be focused on the fact, the irrefutable fact, that if you are a believer, if you trust in a sovereign God, the one you read about in the Bible rather than the one you see in the mirror, if you believe that God is God and you are not, then you have to come to the conclusion that God has chosen you, placed you here providentially, sovereignly, for such a time as this. That's the lesson of the story of Esther in the Old Testament. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament is this, what others intended for evil, God will redeem for good. And the lesson is pervasive. In fact, maybe that's one of the key themes throughout all of Scripture is God is in charge. Oh, we'll suffer the consequences for our poor choices, but he always preserves the redeemed. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church the body of Christ, because we are his hands, we are his feet. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. For whatever reason, strange as it may be, because he could do a lot better job than we're doing, I would argue. But in God's mystery, he has chosen us to be his hands, his feet, his mouth, his eyes, his ears. He's chosen us to be the body of Christ. And this is our time. This is our place. This is our moment. And it's a wonderful time to be alive. In spite of the junk. In fact, maybe even because of the junk. We should be thankful as we enter into Thanksgiving weekend. And we should be prepared to jump up and down and say, put me in the game. This is a great opportunity. This is a great opportunity for me to be an obedient player. I've been listening to the coach. I've been reading the plays. I'm ready to get in the game. What a wonderful opportunity. We may be down, but I trust 
what I've been trained to do. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion Man. Let's take a break. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need, sold. The Patriot Auto Group, proud Oklahomans in the community. Okay, welcome back to we the Rebellion. serve. So my premise today is this. This is our time. This is our moment. This is a wonderful time to be alive, and we should be thankful for it. So as we celebrate Thanksgiving Day, Thanksgiving weekend, one of the things we should be thankful for is the challenge, the crisis, the storm. It's an opportunity to shine in the darkness. It's an opportunity, opportunity, excuse me, for us to be salty in the midst of mush. You know, in his 2013 book, John Dickerson wrote about the troubling condition of the American church. And it's kind of a downer of a book, if you will. It's titled The Great Evangelical Recession, Six Factors That Will Crash the American Church and How to Prepare. So Dickerson's key premise is that the church in America is dying. And the evidence he presents to support this terminal diagnosis is multifaceted. I could obviously spend multiple shows talking about all of the symptoms of the disease. And I'm not saying that he's wrong on any of it, other than maybe the suggestion that the church will die. The church won't die. It can't die because Jesus promised it won't. Now, will we have certain congregations, certain denominations, certain buildings, certain groups shrivel up and blow away? Yes, but the true church, the obedient church, the hands, the feet, the mouth, the eyes of Christ himself, the body of Christ, no, the gates of hell cannot prevail against that church, and it's that church that should raise its head high with confidence and stiffen its spine and say, bring it on bring it on. This is my time. This is my place. It's my opportunity to get in the game. I've been sitting on the bench way too long. I, I'm tired of, of not getting an opportunity to have the ball. It's my turn. Thank you. And as my friend Jim Garlow has said in 
California in the midst of all of the culture wars that we have to deal with. What a wonderful time to be alive. Oh, and Garlow knows from whence he speaks, he's had to fight these battles. He's chosen to rush into the storm. In the California craziness, he's had to hire armed guards for his house and for his church because of the vitriol, the venom, the viciousness of the left. No, he's not asking for it, I guess. He probably would prefer that he not have to suffer that. But he walks with a spring in his step and a confidence about him because he recognizes that this is his time, this is his place, this is his moment. God has placed him here for such a time as this. So back to Dickerson. He talks about a variety of different things. Orthodox belief, church attendance, denominational loyalty, and he argues that all of these things are dropping precipitously. And he shares the data to prove it, not disputing any of it. Uh, So the attrition within the church of orthodoxy, of attendance, of loyalty, the attrition of these things, he says it's a transition away from religious homogeneity, you know, the unity around a common orthodoxy, common belief system. That that homogeneity is being lost in the baby boomers and then the subsequent generations like uh, Gen Zers, Gen Xers, millennials, etc. The further we go down the continuum into the current generations, the more and more therapeutic deism we see. And I've talked about therapeutic deism before. It's this, you know, God is just there. He exists, I guess, because we can't explain the complexity of our existence in our universe without acknowledging that there is an intelligence behind the design. But uh, you know, he's really not involved in our lives other than he's a, you know, a kindly old uncle, as C.S. Lewis described, that just wishes a good time be had by all. A therapeutic deism, a counselor in the sky, if you will, uh, um, a psychologist, uh, an omnipotent, to some extent, counselor that wants us to just be happy. Don't worry, be happy. That's God. So, Dickerson says that this has led the church to flounder and flail and lose a lot of influence in our culture, and he's probably right about that too. He talks about political divisions and partisan disagreement, and he says that all of this stuff is going to hasten the demise of the church and the loss of the church's voice in our culture. He talks about intramural splits, you know, denominational infighting, church attendance is going to plummet. He says more than 2.6 million of those who are presently 18 to 29 years of age. Remember, this is in 2013. Okay, so it's a little dated, but still very pertinent, very pertinent stuff. He says those people between ages 18 and 29 years of age are predicted to leave the church and abandon biblical faith and traditional values over the next 10 years. Well, we're almost at the end of that 10-year prediction, right? And we've seen it. And he says that trend that we've seen since this book was written is just going to accelerate in the decades to come. The number of non-religious and secular Americans will skyrocket, he says. We're seeing that right now. If you're a Christian, you speak out and say, well, I'm going to pray for those people, those families, if you will, that suffered the loss uh, of this shooting in Colorado Springs. You're immediately vilified for saying that you're going to pray for somebody. We don't want your prayers. You just need to change. You're responsible for it. It's your fault. You Christians, you people that are saying you're going to pray, why don't you do something about it? That's the attitude that people have, and it gets worse and worse every day. 
I mean, back in 2013 when Dickerson wrote this, did you did did you think that we were going to have drag queen parties in the public parks in Heartland America, and that if you spoke out against it, it you were the you're the bad guy, you're the hater because you want to protect the innocence of children? Did you think that women would lose their bathrooms and their sports back in 2013? Did any of us really believe that this stuff was going to happen? Well, a couple of us did. I warned of it. But I know a lot of you thought I was a nut job. You thought I was crazy. I was an alarmist. That, that stuff's never going to happen. Well, that'll never happen. So Dickerson's saying that the days of the Christian majority are over. The Judeo-Christian ethic is a thing of the past, he says. But even more sobering than the rise of religious indifference and theological syncretism is this. This is what Dickerson warns of. He says it'll be the increase in animosity and outright antagonism against and toward biblical values. And again, you see it in spades. Most of us recognize it, and that's why I'm bringing this up on today's show, because we have a tendency to think, oh my land, we just need to run away, hunker down. I wish we didn't live today. I wish we lived back in the 50s <laughs> when everybody got along, which we know isn't true, but Many would argue that the sense of homogeneity in the 50s was greater than it is today. It probably was. In fact, it definitely was. We can look at the data to support that. I'm not suggesting that, you know, America was all Christian, but I am suggesting that there was a time when the assumptions of the biblical ethic were not disputed as aggressively as they are today or mocked overtly by people that are elected to serve us in Washington, D.C. or in your local state capital. I mean, my land, look at all the stuff that's going on, the headlines. Uh, pastors getting arrested for reading their Bible in public, that's happened in California. You know, the old story now, the Catholic nuns, the little sisters of the poor, being prosecuted because they didn't want to provide abort abortion-inducing drugs in their health care package. They're nuns, they're sisters, they're Catholic. They don't need any contraception, let alone abortion-inducing contraception. You've got the APA, the American Psychological Association, that considers uh, that uh, intolerant personality disorder should be added to the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for the APA. They want to add intolerant personality disorder as a description of any Christian or any other religious person who believes that sexual behavior should be reserved for heterosexual marriage. If you believe that, you have a disorder. You're mentally ill. That's where the APA is going. Uh, the European Union has passed a resolution declaring that all people who have an aversion to unbiblical sexual behavior, <laughs> in other words, if you believe in the biblical ethic in terms of how to behave sexually, monogamy with your spouse, uh, then you're guilty of a crime. Okay, and if you speak out about this aversion you have to any sexual behavior other than biblical sexual behavior, then you're a racist, you're a xenophobe, you're anti-Semite, you're a sexist. And you should actually be subject to criminal penalties. We've seen that with parliamentarians in the Netherlands being prosecuted for reading Bible verses. Uh, so this stuff is very sobering, very sobering. The list of grievances against Christians today is almost endless. You could almost fill up books. Some have. I suppose Dickerson's given it a good shot here. 
I've, I've mentioned them in the few books that I've written with these anecdotes. We could fill up books with anecdotes of, of how the church is being thrown out and trampled underfoot by those who hate our piety. Christianity is now perceived as being dysfunctional rather than desirable. Biblical values are being prosecuted rather than promoted. Followers of Christ are being insulted because we're the ones that apparently are compromising human dignity when, <laughs> when we're the ones arguing that a woman is real and that children should be treated like children and not groomed as if they're adults. We're the ones that are being punished for this. But here's the thing. Okay, you're probably saying, Piper, I thought you were going to give us hope. Uh, what should we be thankful for? Well, I'm arguing this. In the face of all this garbage, here's what we should do. In the mess of all of this religious bigotry, here's what we should do. We shouldn't take our ball and go home. We should stay and fight. There's an answer. There's an answer to all of this, and it's found in the message of the first century church. The church that faced many of the same things, if not all of the same things, that we're facing today. Our responsibility is very simple in the midst of this storm, this crisis, this junk. Our responsibility is to stand up with confidence and a stiff spine and a spring on our step like Jim Garlow in California and do good. Now, what do I mean by that, do good? In the midst of the storms and the stuff that was taking place in these in the darkness of the early church, the first century church, Paul told the early Christians in Rome who were going to be thrown to the lions, I might want to remind you. They were being crucified. They were being jailed. They were being used as candles in the streets at night. I mean, the persecution, the torture that they came up with, these terrible ideas— to make examples out of people, and they were using Christians as their primary example. Paul told the church then not to repay evil for evil, but to do good. That's a quote. He told that to the church in Galatia. He told that to the church in Rome. Don't return evil for evil, but do good. He told the Galatians, he told the those folks in Jerusalem, do good. He told Timothy, do good. Time and time again, in the days of the early church, Paul admonished believers not to repay insult for insult, but instead to follow the very words of Christ and do good. Jesus couldn't have been more clear. Here's a key quote from him. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So by responding to intolerance, not in kind, but rather by doing good, the church changed the world. How so? Well, orphans were adopted, widows were loved, the sick were cured, people were fed, the dying were saved, women were honored, children were wanted, hospitals, schools, and colleges were founded, and slaves were freed. G.K. Chesterton, one of my go-to quotes here, he said this, Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. What's Chesterton saying there? The church's way out of what appears to be its present grave, is its, its cultural ir irrelevance, its recession, as Dickerson calls it, is to realize that the church 
has been declared dead many a time. There's been many a despot that's tried to exterminate the church. It's never worked. Why? Because we follow a risen God, not a dead one. And he promised us that we will not die, even before the gates of hell. They can't win. They will not prevail against us. And we've got confidence in that promise. We are to bless those who persecute us, bless and curse not, and do good. It doesn't mean we're silent, that we don't fight, and we don't call things out. The prophets of old set the example for calling stuff out. And it doesn't mean we have to be nice all the time. But we have to do good. Not be safe, not be nice, not be pleasant. There's a time for that. But to be good, there's a difference. Like my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, I'm saying that there's a difference between goodness and safety, and there's likewise a difference between goodness and niceness. Doing good turned the world upside down. It set the world on fire, to use the words of John Wesley. The accomplishments of the early followers of Christ were truly astonishing. They inspired. They emboldened millions of people to do good in their communities. And again, I cited some of the things that they did. Hospitals, colleges, schools, orphanages. These things were established by the church as it reached out, not not because it just wanted to be liked, which is often the impetus for being nice, but because it recognized its obligation to do good. St. Athanasius, who many call the author of the Nicene Creed, wrote this, seeing the exceeding wickedness of men and how little by little they had increased it, the wickedness, to an intolerable pitch against themselves, Christ took pity on our race and had mercy on our infirmity. So what's the point here? Athanasius then concludes, he says, Lest the creature should perish and the Father's handiwork and men be spent for naught, God took unto himself a body, a body that not only endures, lives, and breathes in his resurrection, but also in his church. Athanasius was saying, we are the body of Christ. The body of Christ lives and breathes, yes, in his resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead, but he has charged us to be his hands, feet, mouth, and eyes here in the midst of the storm and do good. So even the world recognizes this, and this is the opportunity. Even those that don't claim to be evangelical believers, orthodox believers, I think of Greg Gutfeld on Fox News. I don't think He's a believer. In fact, he has said himself, he describes himself as being non-religious. But then he goes on and he says this, Gutfeld says this, I haven't been to church in years, but there is one thing I know. The church is a positive influence in communities in terms of encouraging charity and neighborly concern. Close quote. Um, Alan DeButton, he's the author of Religion for Atheists. He kind of agrees with Gutfeld where he says, discipline, structure, and community and contemporary culture are needed again. We've lost too much of it. And then he goes on and he says, we've, we're coming perilously close to affirming 
the Christian view of original sin. <laughs> he says this, at the heart, we are all desperate, fragile, vulnerable, sinful creatures, a good deal less wise than we are knowledgeable, always on the verge of anxiety, tortured by our relationships, terrified by death, and most of all, in need of God. Close quote, that's an atheist. The button. And then there's Matthew Paris. I've talked about him before. He's an atheist, a, a practicing homosexual, identifies as gay. He extols the virtues of Christianity. He says, as an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. Removing Christian evangelism from the African equation may leave the continent at the mercy of the malign fusion of Nike, the witch doctor, the mobile phone, and the machete. Close quote. So my point here is culture is a sponge, and it's, it's dry. It wants the water. It wants the living water of the gospel, and this is our opportunity to provide it. You have people that don't claim faith, some people who disavow it, as bold atheists extolling the virtues of the church. The church is the salt and the light of human history. The church has preserved culture in the midst of disease and debauchery and despair. The church has been a beacon of hope in the darkest days of violence and oppression. The church has stemmed the tide of evil time and time again, even when the situation looked hopeless and bleak. Plague, contagion, the church has been the apex of care and compassion. In times of terror and war, the church has been God's mercy on our infirmity and his pity on our race. There's a simple secret here. The secret is this. God has chosen you to do what he's done throughout the course of history. And this is the beauty of the Bible. It tells us story after story after story where God chooses you. He chooses Joseph. He chooses Esther. He chooses Jacob. He chooses Paul. He chooses Peter. He chooses Timothy and Titus. He chooses John. God chooses broken human beings. Quite frankly, the least expected of the bunch. God chooses the runt often of the litter to change the course of human history. Maybe he always chooses the runt because the runt is hungrier and maybe even more humble. It's willing to fight a little harder. Um, Christians have stopped the practice of human sacrifice. Christians have converted barbarians, evangelized Vikings and tamed the Wild West. Christians and the church have done good a lot of good, even when they were surrounded by sin and perdition. And our world is better for it. And we should consider the Christians of the ages as examples for our time. Again, I'm going to go back to the promise. Be thankful for it right now. Jesus tells us, he promises us that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Nothing can stop the manifest power of a living God at work. He is not a dead or static thing. He's alive and well. As A.W. Pink wrote, nothing in all the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than God has eternally purposed it. Here is a foundation of faith. 
Here's a resting place for the intellect. Here is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. It is not blind fate, unbridled evil, man or devil, but the Lord Almighty who is ruling the world, ruling and according, ruling it according to his own good pleasure and for his own eternal glory. Close quote. A.W. Pink. So, it's Thanksgiving. Be thankful. Don't be indifferent. Don't be in despair about the world around you. <laughs> look, look the storm in the eye. And just take it on. What a wonderful time to be alive. Oh yeah, others intend it for evil. God will redeem it for good. And you've been placed here for such a time as this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Piper paraphrase of that passage that was written by Paul. Be thankful for everything, the crisis included. None of this surprises God. This is your opportunity to get in the game. The coach is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, get out there on the court and do your job. And have fun. Be thankful. Rejoice. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.